In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. Hey, friends. Welcome to The Counter. Chris Corman here, joined by Stephen Ruiz. We are the NFL team for For the Win, and we're looking forward to Week 10. Right, Stephen? What do you think? Uh, I could do without Week 10. Week, I feel like last week was so good, it's going to be a letdown this week. Well, you know, you just now you made it so that there's going to be a bunch of insane games and all the wrong teams are going to win and we're going to have to try to explain it on Monday. Just, right. Just so really jinxed it, man. I'm, uh, that's what I'm hoping for. Uh, yeah, I, I see your uh, thinking gif. I like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, not the greatest week, but we're going to look ahead to it anyway. A couple interesting games. Bills, Cardinals, Seahawks, Rams, 49ers, Saints, Ravens, Patriots. Uh, you know, that will show us a little bit about the league. So we'll dig in on that. Steven also has made some revised predictions for uh, which teams will make the playoffs, which teams will end up in the AFC and NFC championships and who will win the Super Bowl. So we will go over those as well. And then we want to dig in on... A game that we were super hyped about heading into last week, coming out of last week, and then Steven watched the film and got even more hyped uh, about what happened. This is the Cardinals-Dolphins game and the chess match between Cliff Kingsbury and Brian Flores, and then what we saw from both QBs, really. Uh, you know, I think Steven, he's gonna, we're going to drop a story tomorrow that, that digs in on this. And really looks at the schematic battle and then also breaks down how Kyler Murray is such a huge advantage for Cliff Kingsbury and and sort of how that separates Kingsbury from other offensive geniuses who we talk about a lot, like Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, who quite frankly are coaching with a hand behind their back because they don't have great quarterbacks, whereas Kyler Murray is becoming a really great quarterback who can uh, open things up for his play caller. And Steven sort of explains that in the story and takes you through it happening. Uh, it's a really interesting, uh, you know, seeing sort of the evolution and seeing how how that actually takes place. You know, we, we often talk about what makes a quarterback transcendent, um, but Steven really shows it in this piece we're going to drop uh, Friday morning. Uh, but also, too, a tag of Aloha was was really interesting and, and showed us some things. So we're going to break into all of that uh, as we go. But Stephen, as per usual, I want to check in on uh, sort of where we are on the COVID situation. Uh, again, I know this is a uh, it's always it feels sort of weird to do it every week, but the, the numbers keep going up and up uh, across the country. Um, you know, Michelle Martinelli, who covers NASCAR and college football for us, has a, a powerful column today talking about college football. Yeah, you know, I think there's eight games canceled already this week in college football. Numbers seems to keep going up. 
Um, the NFL has had a relatively tame week uh, for the COVID situation compared to other weeks. But uh, how are you feeling about about things moving forward? It's it's the numbers are increasingly grim across the country. Yeah, and it's pretty grim at the college level. Which I, I I got bailed out because I was totally going to bet on the Maryland game because Maryland has been good. And I was going to bet on them against Ohio State and they're going to embarrass me, yeah, and lose me money. So I got bailed out there. But yeah, like there's like four college football games being played this week, and I mean I guess it's a good sign that the NFL has avoided that fate. But I mean college football doesn't really set a high bar and i mean it's looking like like it won't matter like they're just going to push through it so as dire as it gets i don't think it's actually going to affect the season it really seems like the league is intent on finishing this season and they've apparently talked about expanding the playoff field if they can't finish all the games so that's on the table i guess it's a realistic possibility that we don't get a full regular season but we're going to get a, a playoff and a championship yeah. Uh, you know, the, the NFL's uh, doctor who has been sort of following this, Dr. Alan Sills, who I'm sure you've seen quoted all over the place, said that there has been no transmission in game. Right. You know, that was something that we talked about a lot as like seems like I think I think Sills is one of the people who said this, that football was made <laughs> to transfer viruses, essentially, like you have people jumping on each other and. Uh, in piles and sweating and exerting breath and everything. Uh, but that hasn't happened. So, uh, you know, there's like a, a, a slim little sliver of good news uh, from, from this week, but just the numbers across the country continue to skyrocket. And there are all sorts of stories coming out in the national media that, that the winter spike that everyone was worried about has arrived, uh, you know, w- well before winter. Uh, the numbers are absolutely skyrocketing. So we will continue to see. I, I did just notice that the Ravens, I've been tied up, but the Ravens uh, apparently had another positive test today. I don't know who that was or what impact that will have on the game this week. They play the Patriots. Uh, so we'll continue to monitor that and, and see how it goes. Um, but uh, let's assume, as we have, that the season will roll roll along in some fashion. And... Uh, we need to predict how it's going to play out. This is one of the one of the things we do here is sort of look ahead and try to try to decipher how things are going to go. And to that end, you took some time this week to revise your predictions. Uh, I don't know how much how much change there is here. Uh, we'll, we'll go through division by division. And the first one I think did change the AFC East. I think you had originally picked the Patriots. Probably you felt like. Mm-hmm. They would they would figure out a way, and obviously that has not happened. <laughs> I was wrong about that one. It's not yeah, the first well, time I've been but, wrong. Well, that's uh, but yeah, I mean, quite frankly, COVID played a role in that. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, any any momentum that Cam Newton had, and of course he signed late, so not only did he not have a regular off season, but he didn't even have the you know he didn't even have the virtual off season with the Patriots until middle of the summer. Uh, and so it, it felt very tenuous that they were going to figure out how to get him going and and work him into the offense and figure it out. And then he was gone uh, due to COVID and things have not righted. Uh, it just has not come together for the Patriots in a shocking way. Um, 
And so the Bills now are in command of that division, and that's your pick. Uh, I mean, pretty pretty simple one, right? I mean, we I think we talked about this last week. The Dolphins are good, but don't really stand a chance of catching the Bills at this point. Yeah, I mean, their lead is insurmountable in the division. I feel like, and I could see like the Patriots and the Dolphins being just as good as the Bills are by the end of the season, but it won't matter because the standings. The Bills already have a win over the Dolphins. They have a win over the Patriots, and yeah, there's no. I don't think they're going to be able to overcome it. And I think one of the miscalculations about the Patriots, like obviously the COVID thing, just you know decimated the offense. Cam Newton went out and kind of messed up their rhythm. But the defense has been a lot worse than I expected it to be. I thought it would regress, but I did not think it would regress to one of the worst defenses in the league. And I think I underrated the impact of losing Dante Hightower. Right. And and other player. I mean they they the Patriots are just picking guys off the the practice squad and they are getting the most snaps of any player that week on defense. And that is it's just not not a good formula for winning football in the NFL. No, not at all. And it's uh, yeah. We'll talk about it in the the preview of the Ravens game, but I think that's gonna be an issue, the their lack of talent on the front seven. Right. Uh it's it's just plagued them the whole year. Uh, sorry, I'm looking here. The The Pittsburgh Steelers are your AFC North winner, and you say in this story on ForTheWin.com, uh, FTW.USA.com, that you actually believe the Ravens are the better team, but the Steelers, again, are 8-0 and have the path to uh, to win this division. What's, what's your read here? Yeah, I mean, I've been saying this like for a month now. I just don't believe in the Steelers' ability to to match the top offenses in the league, and I think they're a very easy offense to defend just because they're they're not pushing the ball downfield. So defenses don't have to defend every part of the field; they could just pack it in close to the line of scrimmage. And the teams that are equipped to do that, like the Ravens, obviously did it in that first game, but the turnovers killed them. The offense just wasted that defensive performance. If they play a second game, I I don't think Lamar Jackson's going to turn it over three times. I don't think they're going to fail on fourth down again like they did. And I really think the Ravens have the edge. That was a very close game. The, the Ravens were in control of it for most of it until the end. And they played as poorly as they can, and they almost won it still. So, I mean, I, think it, I don't even think that's that hot, hot of a take that the Ravens are the best team in that division. Uh, I would like you to go to Pittsburgh and say that <laughs> and see what they think about the the uh, temperature level of that take. Uh, in the AFC South, you do have uh, a little change here. You have the Colts overtaking the Titans. Titans are six and two right now. Colts are five and three, uh, which I thought was interesting because uh, I think you're not exactly super sold on Philip Rivers. So you were. Uh, pretty boisterous about it going into the season, and then were a early. A, you you were one of the early defenders of Rivers as he seemed to struggle. If you were looking at certain stats early in the season, uh, but now I think you're starting to have a little bit of pause. So I'm interested in this one, and these two teams actually play later tonight in the Thursday night game. Uh, a rare, interesting Thursday night game. But uh, w- what are you seeing? What makes you think the Colts will overcome the Titans here? I'm picking the Colts because I think that their defense is suited to defend what the Titans do best. And I really think this 
division is is it's going to come down to those two games. And I could look like an idiot by the time this gets published because they will have played on <laughs> Thursday night. And I say in the the post that it's really a toss up, and whoever wins this, I think whoever wins this first game, if it's like convincing, right. it's not a fluky win. I think is going to go on to win the division. I'm picking the Titans because are the Colts because of that defense. I think they can stop the run. They had a they really did a good job against the Ravens run game. Hmm last week right and they were sound and i think that's what you have to do to stop the titans if you can stop the titans run game while not like being overly aggressive and committing numbers like to the line of scrimmage so that they can exploit you over the top on the play action game like if you can stop the play action game you could you're stopping this offense and the colts are one of the best coach defenses in the league so i mean i'm just assuming they're going to be well equipped to stop the play action game yeah, I mean, DeForest Buckner has made such a huge impact right. on them. It's been great. AFC West, no surprise here. Kansas City Chiefs are your pick as they were heading into the season. Uh, I, I mean, is there any analysis to add here? Uh, they, so. they have a hundred. They have a hundred three point differential. They're putting the quarterback in motion on plays just because Patrick <laughs> Mahomes thought it would be cool. Like they're just toying with teams at this point, and they're the best team in the NFL. It's not even close, and it's definitely not close in that division. Right? No, not not particularly close. Uh, wild card teams. You've got the Ravens, Titans, which I think, based on what you just said, people would not be surprised to hear. But then you had the Browns slipping in there. Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield action. Love it. Throwing them, throwing them <laughs> in Cleveland. You're, yeah, you're perking up the spirits in Cleveland right now. I bet. Yeah, the Dolphins' schedule is really tough. I, that, I think the Dolphins are the best out of the wild card contenders, which are Miami, Cleveland, and Las Vegas. Okay. Uh, and the Dolphins' schedule is really hard. I don't think it's hard, like on paper. Like I think Football Outsiders says they have an easy schedule, but let me bring it up. It's it's harder than I guess the numbers imply. That's probably because the Patriots no, like the Patriots aren't seen as a great team. Right. They play the Chargers this week. I mean, the Chargers are two and six, but I think they're a good two and six. They're probably better than right two and six. They're really close to being like four and and four right now. Right. They they've lost so many of those coin flip games, right, uh, in crazy ways. And then they go to Denver, which playing in Denver is always hard just because of the altitude. Then they get the the Jets and the Bengals. Those are easy wins. But then they play the Chiefs, the Patriots, and then they go to Las Vegas, and then they go to Buffalo. Like that's a terrible end to your schedule and i think the patriots are going to be playing a lot better by the end of the season so i think it's just too tough of a schedule for them like i wouldn't be surprised if they dropped a game to like the Bengals too because the Bengals are feisty yeah i just don't see them i don't know i don't i don't think they're going to be able to keep this up even though they are one of the better teams in the afc right now and then the raiders i just think are are frauds like they have, like their DVOA is worse than Washington's DVOA. They have a worse <laughs> point differential than Atlanta. I mean, I right. I just don't buy it. Like their whole reputation is based on that win over Kansas City, and we've already gone over how that was really a fluky win. Right. Exactly. Uh, I'm gonna save the championship game talk for uh, once we get through the NFC. Well, and then we'll talk about the championship games and the Super Bowl. But uh, NFC East winner. Uh, I mean. Yeah, this team is just fantastic. I, I understand completely why you picked them. I've 
studied them <laughs> thoroughly, and they just there's no weaknesses here really. The Philadelphia Eagles uh, just just really a strong football team. <laughs> yes, they are a strong football team, but no, but they're the only ones that ha- that have looked competent at times <laughs> and like Carson Wentz has been awful, but he's still like a decent quarterback. Whereas right. like the, re- the, I was about to say that Washington has yeah. a quarterback who has like one and a half legs. <laughs> the giants have a quarterback who might as well have one and a half arms because he fumbles the ball every time he gets touched <laughs> and the Cowboys do not have a quarterback. Like I refuse to believe that Garrett Gilbert's a real person or Ben DiNucci or whoever they're going to trot out there. Maybe Andy Dalton will be back, but yeah, so it's the Eagles. It has to be the Eagles. doesn't make sense if it's anybody else, but the Eagles. Yeah. I mean, they're, uh, as you wrote here, Wentz has been easily the best QB uh, since Dak Prescott went down. Obviously right. he's been easily the best QB in this division. And, all anyone is talking about is what the heck's wrong with <laughs> like you know and uh the athletic ran a story this week that shows you know he essentially was like the 10th best quarterback a few years ago and now he's like 28th mm-hmm. uh, and it's- yeah it's it's not a good sign for the division when the best quarterback in the division is getting like long in-depth pieces about what's gone wrong with them <laughs> oh man uh, NFC North, this was a division that was incredibly crowded heading into the season. I remember when we were doing the uh, the previews and Football Outsiders, I think had like every team in this division winning either eight or nine games or something, mm-hmm. you know, either, or seven or eight. I mean, it was just, there was basically no spread. Uh, and now it look, sure looks like the Green Bay Packers are pretty easily the class of this division, but the defense has some questions. Uh, but you you still like them at the top here, I think. Yeah, one of the big questions about them going into the season was like, is Aaron Rodgers still Aaron Rodgers? And everything, all the evidence was pointing to him not being that guy anymore. And then all of a sudden he's that guy again. And the issues on offense don't matter. Like we were worried about their lack of receiving talent and how they wasted their draft picks on players that weren't going to play a lot. And that's happened. Like they still don't have any receivers and their rookies aren't playing at all. And it hasn't mattered because Aaron Rodgers has been an MVP candidate and that solves all their issues. And then, but he can't play defense and their pass defense is still terrible. Their run defense isn't great either. So they're going to win this division because the next best team is the Bears and they have Nick Foles playing quarterback. But I'm kind of low on this team, even if, I mean, I think they have the inside track to get the number one seed, but I'm actually picking another team to, to get it. Uh, all right, let's move on to the NFC South then. And you have the Saints winning in your revised prediction. I th- I'm pretty sure that's where you went earlier. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting about this is that you had pretty definitively moved the Bucks into that spot, and then the Bucks got absolutely destroyed by the Saints. But I, I still feel like this is, uh, you know, I'm certainly not convinced that the Saints are far and away better than the Bucks. <laughs> despite what I just saw, just because there are still, like, I still have some questions about Drew Brees. I still have some questions about the Saints secondary, and I still feel like the Bucks are better than what they looked like last week. But how do you see this playing out? Because they're, the Saints are, what, 6-2 and two, and the Bucks are 6-3, and three, right? So right. It's going to be close. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I don't think there's a lot separating these two teams. It's just, right. I, like, don't overreact to individual results. 
The thing is, the Saints now have the tiebreaker and they have a lead in the standings. And then their schedule is they they're playing a banged up 49ers team. They play the Falcons twice. They play the Broncos. They play the Eagles. They play the Panthers. They play the Vikings and then the Chiefs. I mean, they're going to be favored in every game except for the Chiefs game. So it's going to be hard for the Bucks to make up ground. While the Bucks are also figuring out their own issues on offense, there's been talk about Mike Evans and like his role in the offense and whether Tom Brady should be targeting him more. And Bruce Arians has said like Brady's still learning the offense. So they have their own th- issues to, to work out, whereas the Saints, I mean, Drew Brees has been in this offense for 15 years now, so... They, they already got those issues figured out. And it seems like the defense, based on the last performance, the defense has things figured out now, so maybe they won't be giving up big plays. And maybe the de- the defense is top 10 in DVOA, so... Right, right. I don't. I think they're the, mo- the more balanced team, at least. Yeah. Uh, look, the NFC West, I think we both agree, is the deepest division, the, the most interesting from top to bottom. And... We've sort of, again, vacillated between, I think early on, you thought the Rams were maybe the best team in the NFC, and then they sort of took a a dive down. The Seahawks looked really good for a while and then, uh, you know, lost to the Cardinals, another team that is in this division. And uh, the 49ers, which we thought when they lost Bosa that that would be sort of the end for them. And then they got some defensive backs back and look great. And then they've looked bad again. <laughs> uh, so this division, I, I was very interested to see your pick here and you went with the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, how did you try to sort through this, this mess of teams that are all I mean, pretty good? Yeah. So I think it just comes down to the matchups, how these teams match up against each other because the top three teams in the division, I'm just going to count out the 49ers right now right. with Jimmy Garoppolo because Nick Mullins just, He's just not an NFL quarterback. <laughs> Much to the chagrin of Southern Miss fans who really got on me a couple of years ago and I wrote him off after an impressive debut. But anyway. It was actually just Brett Favre. <laughs> right. And Brett Favre just touts any Southern Miss quarterback. It's like the next great thing. But yeah, so it came down to matchups for me and the Cardinals. I've like they have a, a tough schedule. They're, the beginning of their schedule is really easy, and they capitalized on it, although they did drop some games they probably should have won. Right. But now it's just a hellish schedule coming up, and it starts this week with the Bills. So I kind of counted them out. So it came down to the Rams and the Seahawks for me, and those two teams play twice over the remainder of the season. And I, I just trust Sean McVay more against that defense. And the only times the Rams have looked bad is when Jared Goff has looked bad. And the only time he's looked bad is against good defenses. They've been able to blitz him and put pressure on him and force him into bad decisions. And the Seahawks defense isn't capable of doing that right now. And Sean McVay has had a lot of success against Pete Carroll's uh, defenses. And I expect that to continue. I don't see why it wouldn't, especially now that the Rams have their run game back. I think the Seahawks have the higher ceiling just because of Russell Wilson. But just based on how they match up, I got to take the Rams in those two matchups. And I think that's going to decide who wins the NFC West. Wildcard teams then end up being uh, the Buccaneers and Seahawks, which, which should be of no surprise given what we just said. But your third pick is the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Which, wow. I surprised myself with that one too. Yeah, we, we had, I 
at some, at some point, at, well, I mean, it was when they uh, traded Nagakwe, right? We basically said, well, this team's this team's done. Um, but now the Vikings are three and five and have won two in a row. The DVA, DVOA keeps climbing. Uh, so what are you seeing for the Vikings? Do you think they'll slip into this spot? Uh, a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Cardinals, who would many would believe are the favorites to win that last wild card spot, have this schedule. Like They play the Bills this week. They go to Seattle the week after. They go to New England after that. They play the Rams. They go to the Giants, which doesn't sound like a tough game, but the Giants are kind of feisty. Like They at least play tight games, and it's a 1 o'clock game on the East Coast. That's always tricky. They play the Eagles. I mean, maybe the Eagles turn things around by then. And then they play the 49ers, who could have Jimmy G back, and then they finish at the Rams. Like There aren't very many easy wins on that schedule. The easiest win is the Giants game, which, like I said, is a tricky game. And then you compare that to the Vikings who are playing like the Lions and the Bears. Now, the Bears have given Kirk Cousins problems in the past, and I wouldn't be surprised if he like implodes. But they've looked good over the last two weeks. They beat the Packers. They beat the Lions, who are a decent team. They beat them convincingly. So they go to the Bears this week, and I think that's – and I write this. That's the game they have to win. If they don't win that game, then I think the Bears end up taking the final playoff spot. But if the Vikings do win that game, then they go to they they play the Cowboys at home, they play the Panthers at home, and then they play the Jaguars at home. That's three straight home games that they should win. Right. And if they do win those games, they'll be seven and five. Now they play the Bucks and the Saints in the last month of the season, which is tough, but those games are offset by home games against the Bears and then a game away at the Lions. Two games I think they can win. So if they go 9-7, and seven, which I think is, is realistic, that should get them that last playoff spot. Right. That's that seventh spot this year. So it's the calculus is a little different for figuring out which teams are going to make it. Um, so yeah, it should be, should be fascinating to watch all of that uh, down the stretch. You end up picking the Chiefs over the Ravens in the AFC. Um you know, the Chiefs have just completely uh, picked apart everything the Ravens do on defense. Patrick Mahomes has been a monster against them. So I think that is uh, – there's not a whole lot more to examine there. You have the Saints over the Packers in the NFC Championship game. Uh, what do you see in that one? Well, I will point out that I had to do like some some calculus to figure out how the Ravens could play the Chiefs in the AFC title game. And what would have to happen is the the Bills would have to be upset in the first round. But I think that's – and they'd, they'd probably play the second-place team in the AFC South, either the Colts or the Titans. And we've seen the Titans already beat the Bills right. convincingly. So I'm not – like too worried about that happening. That's the only way. If it if it doesn't happen, the Bills win that first playoff game, then the Ravens and Chiefs would play in the second round, and I think the the same outcome would happen. The Chiefs would win. As for the other game, I, it's not too far off from what I picked in the preseason. I picked the Saints to beat the Seahawks. I've okay. just swapped out the Seahawks with the the Packers, but I do think that game would come down to who's at home, right? Because Drew Brees in Green Bay in January is not going to work. Right. Like, I just don't see how that works. And who do you think will get the number one seed? Well, I think the Saints are going to get it. Yeah. Just because I don't trust this Packers team week to week, 
like I don't, I don't think their schedule is too difficult, but like we saw them lose to the the Vikings two weeks ago, and as good as Aaron Rodgers has been, he still doesn't have a great supporting cast. So if he if he's off for a game, I think the Packers lose it. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised if they lose one or two games that we don't expect them to lose over the next two months. And whereas the Saints, I really think the Saints might run the table outside of that Chiefs game. Wow. Uh, you have the Chiefs beating the Saints in the Super Bowl. I'm not surprised by this. I mean, I I think you are generally of the notion that the Saint that the Chiefs are really quite far ahead of the rest of the league, and there's a lot of advanced metrics and, and things to look at that that point to that. Uh, but how do you see this game actually playing out? I, like the weakness that I've been talking about with the Saints defense is they've been giving up big plays. And that is not a good weakness to have going up against the Chiefs. <laughs> they are a team that is suited to exploit that weakness more so than any other team in maybe NFL history. So, and if they do get those big plays and they put up points, and I think they're going to put up points no matter who they play, it's just going to be hard for Drew Brees to match him, to ma- match Patrick Mahomes throw for throw, especially against a good defense, a well coached pass defense at least. Like the way to beat the Chiefs defense is to run on them. And I don't I wouldn't trust the the Saints having a, a run first approach and keeping up with Patrick Mahomes against a defense that is that has been leaky in the back end. Uh yeah. I mean I think what we've seen in the Chiefs, I'm not just not sure how you really can do much with Mahomes unless you happen to have just a naturally strong pass rush and at least a decent secondary. And the teams that really ha- have that are not in line to make it this far. Yeah. You know, I mean, the if Nikakwe somehow totally changes the, the Ravens, which I don't think he does, uh, you know, maybe they're in that conversation, but I, I don't, you know, the Saints is just not. It's not who they are on defense. They're just not going to create that pressure with with four or even five uh, guys rushing the passer. So uh, it's just it's the Chiefs' world, man. Uh, good for Andy Reid. I mean, good for him getting the uh, all this recognition and, and having this sort of team now. After quite frankly, probably being overlooked for a while and cobbling things together in Philadelphia without <laughs> without good wide receivers. I mean. Well, Michael Hardman is like what I I don't know third fourth on the depth chart right now for the Chiefs. Right. And he might be the best wide receiver in, in Eagles history if he had been, <laughs> if he had been catching passes for McNabb. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's fun to watch. Uh, let's talk about uh, this Cardinals um, uh, uh Arizona game, Cardinals, uh, Dolphins game, just because this is, we, we sort of looked at it as the future, right? We were looking at it like mm-hmm. Cliff Berry and Brian Flores are two coaches who you never know how it's going to go, but they're two guys who just have the pedigree and are talked about uh, as guys who are setting the standard and sort of innovating and moving offense and defensive play calling uh, forward as the league evolves. Cause that's really what the NFL is all about, right? It's all about staying one step ahead and adjusting and making it work on the fly. 
uh, no matter what talent you have. And these guys, I mean, Flores did it last year, right? The Dolphins were supposed to be just horrific, and they ended up winning some games that they should not have won. And it was through his his smarts. I mean, you could you could see that he had learned. One of the things that you have done. Uh, over the last several years is right about what separates Belichick from other defensive uh, minds. And it's that he was able to implement different uh, schemes essentially for depending on who they were playing. And Flores has a little bit of that, a little bit of that in him. He's not just relying on one thing and Kingsbury, you know, much was made of the fact that he, you know, he lost so much at Texas Tech, he got fired and then somehow ended up an NFL coach. And the reason is that, uh, you know, the the proof was in what he was doing offensively and how he was adjusting to things and pushing the game. And now so these two are colliding and the game turned out to be so fun. You know, that was the thing that we were talking about. It's like, wow, this game this is a great football game to watch. You know, like if you uh, I mean, there are a couple other great games this season. But if you really want to just be like, hey non-sports person would you like to understand why football's fun like watch this game um but i want you know i asked you as we were talking about it like why don't you look at what actually made it fun like the the schematic things that people you know the average fan might not pick up on or might pick up a little bit but not really understand what the underlying things happening that make the game good you know the the chess match uh, I'm actually thinking about that Netflix chess show uh, that everyone is no, talking. Started, about. I started watching it. I watched like the first yeah. episode. Well, like they basically just uh, they like don't bother with explaining. <laughs> like right. they don't bother explaining the chess moves because they realize that it's just too complicated. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's sort of like what happens with football. Like the it's it's so intricate uh, that that really understanding it. But I think we all know, right? We're watching the game. We know that the coaches are that that there's just so much going on between the coaches and, and so many minor adjustments being made. And so you broke some of those out and showed them here uh, in this post that again, this post is going to drop Friday morning. Uh, but what, if you could like, give me the top level of what you saw there, just like uh, sort of explain the back and forth between uh, the, the Cardinals and the Dolphins offense and defensive coaching staffs. So the Dolphins approach was similar is similar to the approach they've taken against the Rams and they've taken against the 49ers this year and this a similar approach that Flores took as defensive coordinator for the Patriots when they played the Rams in the Super Bowl they used that 6-1 front where there's there's four defensive linemen and then two linebacker type players like sometimes it could be a safety a strong safety like flanking the defensive line that gives them six men on the line of scrimmage. And then there's one linebacker. And the idea is like, you have this wide front, so it's hard to run outside. And that's what McVeigh and Shanahan are known for. And I think it's to a certain extent, the, the Cardinals have a more diverse run game than like the Rams, but they were trying to get outside and they're trying to get to the edge and, get big plays on the edge. So that's why they're trying to defend them like that. The difference between what the Cardinals have at quarterback and what the 49ers and Rams have at quarterback, like that's what made Kingsbury's job a little bit easier, trying to get the Dolphins to adjust out of that. The Rams were never able to do it in the Super Bowl. And even the 49ers weren't really able to do it. But 
the Cardinals could attack it because they have a threat at quarterback and they could just have Kyler Murray read one of those uh, perimeter players and that kind of evens the numbers on the box. Now you have, you're basically, he cancels out one of those defenders. So now you have five men on the line of scrimmage technically, and then you have five offensive linemen. So it evens the numbers out. That's how they wanted to defend the run game. The passing game, they took the same approach they took against the Rams where we're just going to blitz the hell out of them. Right. Every time the Cardinals put out uh, a personnel grouping that you would expect a pass to come out of, like if they had three or more receivers on the field, the Cardinals were going to those cover zero looks where there's no safety deep. It's just cornerbacks or defensive backs lined up across from receivers and then everyone else on the line of scrimmage is ready to blitz. And I've written about this this concept before and we've talked about it on the podcast where they're not just sending everyone after the quarterback the the players on the line of scrimmage that are blitzing are reading how the offensive line is turning and if the offensive line is sliding to your direction you drop back and you get into those zones that quarterbacks like to attack when they're trying to beat the blitz and we saw Jerry Goff throw an interception on one of these against the Dolphins so for Cliff his his uh, task was one having success against that six one front where where other offensive coaches have not been able to break it and get the dolphins out of it, and then two figure out a way to have a passing game where you could still throw the ball downfield while dealing with that pressure because a, like Sean McVay's a lot of his answers were to throw it short and try to just get the ball out quick and hopefully break a tackle and get a big play, but that's really hard to do. You're really playing into the hands of the defense. That's what they want. They want you to throw it short of the sticks on third down, and then they can get off the field if they make a tackle. So those were his two, the two tasks he had to figure out over the course of the game. The first task was really easy because of Kyler Murray. Like I said, you could just run zone read and that negates whatever advantage that front presents you. Whereas like you can't do that with Jerry Goff. Right. You can't do that with Jer- Jimmy Garoppolo, even who's a better athlete than Jerry Goff. And at f- at first against the pass, now we're talking about the the beating the blitz. His first uh, adjustment was putting Kyler Murray on the move, which makes sense. Like he slid the line to the left, and then you roll Kyler Murray out to the left. Right. But that limits how you can attack the field. You can only attack one half of the field that way. So that's not really a viable answer like you need a better answer and what he ended up doing was a really old school thing where you have one offensive lineman read potential interior interior blitzers and if they don't come then you pop out and then you you take and block an edge rusher Hmm. old school offenses used to do this all the time because you didn't have Von Miller on the edge in the 90s. I mean, there were some guys, like there was obviously like Lawrence Taylor and Derek Thomas, but those guys were rare. You didn't have freak athletes at defensive end. Now you do. So you ask that center to to pop out and, and catch up to Von Miller and block him, you're going to give up sacks all, all day. <laughs> so that was his first option, and he did it. Like He called the play, and the, the, the Cardinals center tried to pop out and block the unblocked rusher on the edge, and he just whiffed. Like He didn't even come close, which makes sense because he's a center, and this guy's a, a, like a linebacker, basically. He probably runs like a 4-7. So that didn't work. Uh, so the next time he comes out, he, he tweaks it a little bit. 
and this is on the third touch. This is on the third drive when they scored their second touchdown. They get the long touchdown play to Christian Kirk. And what he did was he had a tight end chip that edge rusher, which kind of disrupted him. And it gave that center time to, to pop out and take that guy. Okay. And then now you have a clean pocket going up against a coverage that's not supposed to hold up for more than two seconds. Like it's cover zero, no help over the top. Right. The, the cornerbacks are playing outside leverage and have their eyes on the quarterback. So Cliff calls, he, he gets that pocket and he calls Christian Kirk on a deep post and Byron Jones just like can't keep up with him. And it's a touchdown. And once that happens, Flores is like, oh crap, we can't do this anymore. It's like they figured it out. Right. Yeah, and that's the thing is that it, it, the cover zero there, like you said, the, the defensive backs have to be looking at the quarterback when it's Kyler right. Murray, right? Like they have to have their eyes. They cannot turn and run with a wide receiver, which if it, if it were Jared Goff or Jimmy Garoppolo, they probably could, <laughs> yeah. right? Like they, they do not need to. And, and so it's they're just put into that double jeopardy where they can't cover at all. Uh, and but it, it did take Cliff like a while to figure that answer out. And the Cardinals, they were still moving the ball. and But they were moving the ball just because Kyler Murray is just – impossible to tackle he was like spinning out of the pocket and and scrambling and finding guys open he was moving around so that was one of the points i made in the post is that yes you can bash sean McVay for not being able to solve this problem that the dolphins defense presented but he doesn't have kyler murray he has jared goff and jared goff can't move and he's really bad at getting the ball out quickly just because of how he thinks how slowly he thinks and processes and his his delivery is really long too. He has a really loopy delivery. So he's just not good at quick game. So how do you combat blitzes when you don't have a quarterback who can move or get the ball out quickly? You just can't. His hands are tied. Whereas Cliff can do all these different things because even if they don't work, Kyler Murray's just going to spin out of the pocket and throw a dime downfield. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, so the second part of this post is you sort of explaining uh, the advantages that Murray gives, uh, but you were also impressed by Tua, uh, which you know is only his second game of the season. Uh, you know, I think you you thought that he was clearly the number two QB behind uh, Joe Burrow heading into the draft, uh, and since then you've you've been pretty high on uh, Justin Herbert. You know, we talked about that. I think two shows ago, uh, whenever that was that, you know, he's really shown so much that he, uh, he has a ceiling that is much higher than Burrow because of what he can do. Uh, but we were talking about evaluating quarterbacks and, and what you mentioned was that Tua surprised you. And that is sort of the thing that you really are looking for. Joe Burrow has come into the league and done exactly what we thought Joe Burrow would do, right? right. Like, he's made, he's made the right decisions. He's made the, a lot of the time, uh, you know, he's still, he has struggled with what we thought he would struggle with, which was that his athleticism let him get away with things at the college level. It is not at the pro level. He's taking more sacks. He's uh, running into situations that are, are troublesome for him and making bad decisions there. But on the whole, he's, he's, Picking good soft spots in the defense and making uh, easy, simple throws. He is not making the big downfield throws. He's not making f- throws, you know, a- across the field with zip. He's not really showing us things that we didn't see before. Whereas you feel like Tua, whose tape you watched at Alabama, uh, you did not expect him to be maybe as dynamic as he was, and, and he surprised you. So, what exactly did you see from him? And I, I think you may write about this over the coming days, but. Mm-hmm. 
give me a preview of what you're what you're seeing as you study this. So all of, all of like the stuff about Tua's intelligence and football IQ and processing, like yeah, that's uh, that's there, that's on tape. Like you see him hit the the back of his drop and the ball comes out. Even if his first read's not open, he's quickly moving on to his second read and getting the ball out, and he's accurate too. What we saw against Arizona was he was a legit playmaker in that game. Like he reminded me of. And he doesn't have as good of an arm as this guy, but he reminded me of rookie season Russell Wilson in the way he made plays and moved around and just how smart he was. Like he was making just great decisions. There's one play where it's a throwaway. And if you're watching it, you're just like, okay, that's a nothing play, move on. But the Cardinals are sending a blitz to one on one side of the field. And they have the the protection overloaded. Like they have too many guys for the Cardinals to block or the Dolphins' offensive line to block. And he gets a snap, and he, he looks to that side, and I think he sees the blitz. But his first look is to the receiver to that side who's running a deep route. The cornerback is playing off, and so it's not likely that the receiver is going to be able to run by him if he has a head start. And then he quick – so he quickly moves to the left side where he has another receiver running a go route. And the, the cornerback gloves it up. Like, he, he covers it well. Right. And Tua immediately – throws the ball away over the that receiver's head and out of bounds. And right after he throws it, away, uh, uh, throws it away, he takes a hit. Like, he would have taken a sack if he hesitated for even a second. And I, th- I just thought that was, like, so impressive for a rookie quarterback to basically make two reads or three if you include the blitz. He saw the blitz. He saw his receiver wasn't going to be uh, able to get open to one side. He looked to the other side, saw his receiver wasn't open on that side, and then knew th- to throw the ball away. And avoided a negative play. And I think that was one of the strengths for him at Alabama that everyone knew would translate to this level. So I wasn't surprised that he was able to do that. What I was surprised about was he, even when he was under pressure, he was keeping his eyes downfield and he was throwing into tight windows. He was throwing across the field and he had a lot more zip on, on his passes than I saw on tape at Alabama. He had a couple plays where he put the ball I would say he put the ball in danger, but he's so accurate that I don't think it really counts as a bad decision. Like he was like putting it right where it needed to be to avoid the defender. And I didn't expect that. I thought he was going to be like a check down guy. Like Teddy Bridgewater was my, my comparison for him coming into the, the draft. And I'm ready to say I was wrong about that. And that's not the first time I've been wrong. Like I was wrong about Justin Herbert. I'm, I'm changing my tune on him. I'm changing my tune on Tua. I only needed to see that one game. It was enough. And I know people are going to say, oh, you're overreacting to one game. But this isn't like Baker Mayfield randomly throwing for 300 yards and then everyone's like, oh, Baker Mayfield's back now. Like maybe he's figured it out. He's going back to 2018, Baker Mayfield. Because when that has happened this season, Baker Mayfield has been doing the things that we already knew he could do. He's right. he's running play action and throwing him to a wide open guy downfield. We know Baker Mayfield can do that. But Tua was doing things that I didn't know he could do, and that's causing me to change my take on him. And really at this point, like before the draft, I had it I had Burrow number one, uh two a second, and I think Herbert was third. Right. Now I'm flipping it. I'm going the other way around. I'm ready to flip it. I'm saying Herbert's first, two a second, Joe Burrow third. Because Joe, like you said, Joe Burrow, is, he's been exactly what I thought he's been. Like he was the one guy that I nailed, I feel like. 
Like I knew he was smart and could process and could get the ball out quickly, but I also thought that he'd have problem avoiding pass rushers at the NFL level, which has happened. And then I also had questions about his arm, and he has not been throwing the ball downfield a lot. He has not been making impressive throws. Like he he threw downfield against the who did they play two weeks ago? I'm forgetting who they played, but they were really ugly throws, and like their his receivers really bailed him out and made him look better. Like he still isn't making those throws downfield. And oh, it was the Titans, and that was like that was the most worried I've ever been about his arm. Like his arm looked terrible, and I know it was windy, but you play in the you play in the AFC North, you're gonna have to deal with the wind. Yeah, and I, I think the thing about Tua too is that uh, you know he will never again be in a situation uh, in in the NFL where his the 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 depth of talent around him will be so far above other teams, right? Like at Alabama, he just had so many weapons that like it would have been foolish for him not to game manage, right? Like it was just smart for him right. to take easy throws and to and to not put himself in positions where he needed to make those tight window throws that you were talking about or needed to uh, run into situations where he might take a big hit uh, and he might have to hold it like that's just not Alabama is talent wise. So, so much, so far ahead of uh, even the other good teams in the SEC, quite frankly, they're up early every week. Like there's no reason to force a ball into a tight window if you don't have to. Right. I mean, just week after week, he, uh, the margin in the NFL between even, you know, the chiefs and the Washington football team or, or whatever team we're having stand in for the worst team, like, those dudes are still really good. Like they're still good professional athlete uh, football players that uh, there's just not that much space between them. So you need like a quarterback like Tua or any quarterback needs to take those, that next level steps and those risks. Uh, and I think that's what we saw this time is that he's able to do a little bit more and to elevate uh, in a way that, like I don't know that we've seen from Joe Burrow at this point in the NFL, uh, so I, I'm looking forward to that. So you know that story, like we said, that post will be up, and there'll be some, you know, that clip that you described will be there uh, for for our listeners to watch, and a couple other throws, I'm sure as well. So looking forward to that. Uh, let's do a little fantasy segment. Bring in Charles Curtis talk about our studs duds and sleepers for the week and then we will get to our picks the counter turning now to charles curtis our fantasy correspondent up in new york city charles what's good man greetings happy week 10 (laughs) can you believe it's week 10 in the nfl and we've got like 10 six weeks to go for fantasy football it's crazy i uh I cannot. Yeah, I'd like, I, yeah, time time is no constant. Like I don't know. I'm, I'm not lost. even playing fantasy football this year, and like I don't miss it at all. Like it's very refreshing that I'm not playing. Wow! Wow! Really? It's you're. I'll be honest. Like the, the, given what's happened in the world the last I don't know years, <laughs> but but the last month or so, it, there was like a point last week where I was like. I don't even want to check my teams. Like I'm too busy doom scrolling. So yeah, I, right. I completely understand that feeling. <laughs> but I did. All right, so let's let's dig in on this segment, guys. Way to way to pump up the people, <laughs> all the, uh, the fantasy fans out there. 
basically shaming them for caring about their team. No, we're just kidding, everyone. Fantasy football is great, and uh, Charles is here to give you some advice on the week ahead. He does a weekly studs, duds, and sleepers feature on For the Win. You should check out the entire list there. Uh, but we are going to focus in on one stud, one dud, and one sleeper. Steven then grades those picks uh, by using an NFL coach to assess the quality of Charles's choices. It's a fun bit. Uh, Charles, who's your stud? Let's start with Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson has been very good this season, and he's starting to get way more attention than he was from week one, week two. Uh, the Lions can't stop anybody on the ground, so I'm really excited about him this week. What interesting thing about Antonio Gibson that I did not include in there, I saw a stat earlier this week that Antonio Gibson has gotten like one – it's either a touch, a carry, or a or a down, or third down the whole season. He hasn't played a third down or at least run a play on third down <laughs> except once this season. And that's because J.D. McKissick wow. is there. He's the, the, the catcher out of the backfield. I might have that stat slightly wrong. Whatever it is, Antonio Gibson is a two-down runner, but he's a really good two-down runner. And he's catching balls out of the backfield, doing a lot for the team. Even if J.D. McKissick gets time, no big deal. I think Gibson's a stud this week against the Lions. So what's who's the opposite of Matt Patricia? Is it Bill Belichick? Uh, I feel like I've been giving too many Belichicks. Out. Pete Carroll? Uh, I don't know, but I'm going to give it an opposite of Matt Patricia, which I feel like is a good grade. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, one, maybe, maybe he'll play 10 men on defense again this week. <laughs> Gibson will able, will be able to get a long touchdown. But I also think like the stat you just said, I think a big reason why is because of pass protection issues and like running rookie running backs just aren't good at picking up blitzes and stuff like that but you don't really have to worry about that against patricia because he's just going to play man coverage he's going to rush three a lot of the time so maybe washington will be more confident putting the rookie running back out there and one of the things the vikings did was get matchups for dalvin cook on detroit's linebackers who aren't very good at all so maybe washington will do the same thing and like gibson obviously has experience as a receiver in college so i could see him having a big day Nice. What about your dud, Charles? Oh, Mike Evans, I've spoken about on this this podcast about how frustrating it has been for his owners because sometimes he's catching touchdowns, catching passes from Tom Brady. And then Antonio Brown comes into play, and it's just the, the wealth is being spread as kind of everyone predicted, but particularly for Evans, who has become a boomer bust guy when he was sort of one of the more consistent guys for years with Jameis Winston throwing the ball. Just the uncertainty with that, I just I can't start him this week. And with the Bucks playing the Panthers, who are kind of underrated in some ways against the pass, I'm just sticking him on my bench. I'm not playing him. I'm not considering him. You kind of got to let the situation play itself out before you even figure it out. And it might be a situation where Evans is not a more than a wide receiver three some weeks. So it's dud this week, maybe dud the rest of the season. I'm gonna con- I'm gonna continue with the opposite the trend of naming the opposite of a coach. I'm going the opposite of Bruce Arians because this is, I think you got to risk it on this week, this (laughs) week, because the last time they played this team, the last time they played the Panthers, Evans had a season high, uh, 10 targets. He had 104 yards. He had a touchdown. 
And this has become like a storyline this week about how Tom Brady isn't targeting Mike Evans. And I wouldn't be surprised if they make a point to target him this week. And it's against a defense they've had success against. And I don't know if Carolina's defense has changed all that much since then. And their outside cornerbacks are really bad. So it makes sense to attack them anyway. I, I'm saying put Mike Evans in your starting lineup and wow. thank me later. Wow. But, you know, last time Mike Evans played this team, there was no Antonio Brown. I get your point. I, that, that the, the performance is there. Maybe we split the difference. But Mike Evans' ceiling right now is like 60 yards, four catches for 60 yards, maybe a touchdown. It's, it's, it's concerning. I'm saying he's – I'm guaranteeing he's going off for at least 80 yards in touchdown. <laughs> wow. I guarantee it. What are, you, what are you doing if he doesn't? Are you going to change your uh, – your- Twitter avatar again? No, I'm not going to do anything. We're not going to mention it on next week's pod either. <laughs> <laughs> just a short memories here. Short no memories. accountability. <laughs> that's that's uh, the opposite whoa. of Bruce Arians. That's great. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Amazing. I <laughs> uh, love it. Uh, actually, I actually think it's not the opposite of Bruce Arians. It is Bruce Arians. <laughs> it's Bruce Arians. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah, he does. He, yeah, he is. He's called up Brady multiple times. He's in. I got that wrong. Oh, the, the zing that just, it didn't land. Ugh. Well, the fact that, that Arians was like, we would never sign Antonio Brown. It's not a guy for us. And then they, they did. So I'm not sure how, how accountable he actually is. Who's your sleeper? Christian Kirk has scored five touchdowns in his past three games. And it's pretty amazing to watch that offense, that Cardinals offense. And I think you have to stick him in your lineup to see if he can do it again, at least score once. Low volume kind of guy. So you Because you, obviously DeAndre Hopkins is – one A and one B on that o- offense for the, from the passing point of view. So I think against the Bills, yeah, like I think you give it a shot. I think that game can be high scoring. So I think Christian Kirk ends up with at least another score, which would make six in his past four at least. That's crazy. Hmm. Uh, who's like a middle of the road <laughs> coach? <laughs> Doug Peterson. Yeah, I'm going to give you a Doug Peterson <laughs> on this one. Okay. Like, I like where your head's at, and it makes sense because they have Trey White on the other side, and he usually travels with the number one guy, so you would expect him to be on Hopkins. And the Bills cornerbacks haven't really been good outside of White, so you would expect Christian Kirk to have a big game. But my one concern is that after this last game against the Dolphins, there was a big thing about – Cliff getting the ball to DeAndre Hopkins. So it's kind of like the opposite of the Mike Evans things where I think they're going to like try to force the ball to DeAndre Hopkins and maybe Kirk won't get as many targets as he did last week. And I think a lot of the reason he got those targets was because of how the Dolphins were playing the Cardinals defensively. And it just made more sense to give him the ball because the the Dolphins were doubling DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think the Bills are going to do that. Interesting. Well, I, I'm fine with Doug Peterson because it means we get ice cream after this. So I'm, I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> um, ice cream. I hope you guys have. I should have given it a Doug Marone so you had to eat bologna or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Charles, thanks for doing this, man. We always appreciate you dropping by. Uh, we will catch up with you again next week. And we will hold Steven accountable. I already forgot what it was about, but we will. I will go back and listen to the show and figure it out. Okay. We will hold him accountable. We're going to play this audio next week it was mike evans over 80 yards and a score yes yes all right there it is. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. got it the counter 
All right. Thanks for that, Charles. Always a fun segment. Let's get into this week's games. As we said, tonight is the Colts-Titans Thursday night game. Uh, You know, it should be interesting. We'll see what we learn from that. We'll talk about that on our podcast Monday. Uh, A couple other good, decent games. We talked a lot about the Cardinals. So let's start here. Bills, Cardinals. Uh, You know, Bills have, have, they had a little bit of a lull and now seem to be back to where they understand sort of what they're doing. The defense played pretty well last week. Uh, What is your pick in this one? I'm taking the Cardinals. Reluctantly, I, I I think this is a toss up. I'm only picking the Cardinals just because it's in Arizona. Mm-hmm. I think th- <sighs> I don't know how to say this. I think Sean McDermott is a good enough coach to figure out some of the things Cliff has done. And while I'm higher on Cliff now because I saw him adjust, make those adjustments against the Dolphins. I think Sean McDermott might have a better plan just because I've seen him take out quote unquote college style offenses before he did a really good job against the Ravens last year, for instance. Yeah. Uh, the line here is just is Cardinals minus one. So, I mean, it's, it's as close as it can get. But I'm taking the Cardinals because they have the better quarterback. Ooh, look at that. <laughs> Had to get some Josh Allen slander in. Uh, Seahawks, Rams. We, we talked about the NFC West and just how fun that division is. Um, and, uh, you know, this one should be should be exciting. Another one, the Rams are uh, favored here, point and a half. What do you, what do you think? We kind of talked about this earlier when we were going through the division picks, why I think the Rams match up well with the Seahawks. And we talked about it on Monday too. The Seahawks have to blitz to get the most out of Jamal Adams. And I just don't think that's going to work against this Rams team. Sean McVay is just too smart and he's going to be able to exploit those holes in the, in their zone. And my one concern is that Sean McVay is going to get too hung up on establishing the run. The Seahawks defense is bad, but it's bad because of the pass defense. The run defense is actually pretty good. So if Sean McVay gets caught up in that and tries to establish the run, the Seahawks might have a chance because I, as good as the Rams defense is, like Russell Wilson is Russell Wilson. And we even saw this last week. The Bills defense played well, but it didn't matter because Russell Wilson made like four or five amazing plays. So that's my one concern. But I'm going to go out on limb and say Sean McVay gets it right. He gets the game plan right. And they put up like 35 points on that Seahawks defense. Uh, 49ers Saints. I feel, I feel like, uh, honestly, the Saints hype, like even since we started recording this podcast, I my hype level for the Saints has gone up like appreciably. Uh, like I just, uh, you know, they've won five games in a row. We were, we were, we had so many questions early in the season. They're, uh, the, the, the line here is New Orleans uh, nine and a half. And that, uh, you know, the 49ers have been up and down and we talked about Nick Mullins already. Uh, but what are you, it just feels like the Saints are building. And now that I'm thinking about that possibility of a Saints Chiefs and you said that you think that this, the Saints may run the table other than they play the Chiefs. So that Super Bowl would be a rematch. Uh, I, I'm i getting excited about the the you know, this prospect of the Saints sort of really becoming a juggernaut that is at least around the same spot uh, as the chiefs. Uh, but what do you need to see from the saints this week to, 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 to prove to you that they're still on that path? 
I would say like I need to see them blow them out, but I don't know if I would go that far just because Kyle Shanahan is still on that team, right? Or on that sideline. And if, by the way, if the Saint, if the if this is a close game, or even <laughs> if the 49ers win it somehow, Kyle Shanahan's coach of the year. I don't care what anyone else does. Kyle Shanahan is coach of the year. Kyle Shanahan's our coach of the year, and Deshaun Watson's already won our MVP. So right, those would be my pick. Like the 49ers' uh, offense, we've been talking about it, like how they have all these problems at quarterback, and they've been hurt. They're still like twelfth in offense. Kyle Shanahan is a goddamn magician, and I'm not. I'm never counting him out in any game. So I would not be surprised if this is closer than people expect. But at the same time, Sean Payton just decimated this defense last year when they played. This was like one of the better games of the year. And that was when the 49ers were at full strength. And they are, actually, I think they were dealing with some injuries back then, but their defense was really good still. And Sean Payton just took it to them. So now that they're banged up and injured and don't have a defensive line, I'm imagining a repeat of what happened last year. And I don't think that Nick Mullins is going to be able to keep up. Uh, speaking of coaches, you never want to count out the uh, Ravens play the Patriots and uh, are favored by a touchdown. The big story with the Ravens is that Lamar Jackson. Uh, I know I should give credit to whoever he said this to, but it's slipping my mind. Rich Eisen. Rich Eisen. Uh, hey, Rich, what's up? Um, it told Rich Eisen that defensive players are calling out their plays. Uh, and so now this is a big controversy in Baltimore. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of talk about uh, if Lamar Jackson should be calling more audibles, if he should be executing better, if this is a problem with Romans because it happened in San Francisco and Buffalo. Uh, you know, this is this is this is a big thing in Baltimore right now I, you, because we, I mean we've and we've documented this right. Like this offense has not gotten back on track uh this season they were it, the run game was really good against the Steelers for a minute and then was not so great uh against the Colts for a lot of the game uh so it's it has not been figured out and Lamar Jackson is not anywhere close to the MVP caliber he was last year uh, he does not have a, a whole lot of help uh so what what actually do you think is going on here and and what <laughs> what can we tell people about this idea that Oh, they're calling out our plays because Greg Roman went. He had a press conference today and said, "Like that happens in football." He like right. just sort of tried to like downplay it in the dumbest way possible. <laughs> like he just are like, "Yeah, well, that happens." But like, if Lamar Jackson's saying this, it's different for him, and it's bothering him. Like that's a huge step for him to come out and say this on an interview. Uh, so something is going on. But what do we actually think it is? Well, I think like it does happen a lot. Like Greg Roman's right. The only thing is most offensive coaches, the good ones prove that they can adjust and the Ravens haven't done it. So the, the player, the defense is calling out their plays and they just haven't done any, anything to adjust. Like it's not a good sign that it's still happening. And I mean, I feel like I've been questioning Greg Roman all year. I don't know if I've done it on the pod, but I've definitely done it to you in private. And no, you've done it on the pod repeatedly. Oh, okay. <laughs> it all blends together. But it happened in San Francisco. Like, the same thing was happening. Def- defense has caught on, and his passing game just isn't that good. It's never been good. He's always been able to cobble together a good run game, and now with Lamar, it's easy. He had, he had a uh, historic run game last year, and it's still pretty good this year. But the passing game is just always left a lot to be desired and it's happening again and I don't there's no 
proof of him fixing it in the past. Like he didn't fix it in Buffalo. He didn't fix it in San Francisco. So I don't know if he's going to be able to fix it, but I don't know if it's going to matter either because the Patriots defense has been awful. And one thing they can't do is stop the run. Uh, I just want to point out that the Ravens, last time they won a Super Bowl, uh, the 2012 NFL season, they fired their offense coordinator, Cam Cameron, uh, while they were 9-4 and four and put Jim Caldwell in and went, went on to win the Super Bowl. I'm just saying. Just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> there is precedent for, for moving on from a bad offensive coordinator, even when your team is, is good. Uh, let's run through uh, the rest of these games. Oh, man. Eagles, Giants, NFC East <laughs> behemoths just going to war against each other. Uh, Eagles, three and a half is the line here. This was a, like a fun game last time they played. Uh, I mean, your definition of fun might be questionable. But... <laughs> I think it was like very meme worthy. Maybe that's why it was fun. Like we had the Daniel Jones falling on his face. So maybe that was the only play. But like low key, this could be like, this could reopen the NFC East race if the Giants can win it. And they almost beat the, the Eagles. Was that game in Philly? I think it was in Philly. Yeah, this one's in New York, yeah. Or- so, hey, you never know. Well, what's your pick? So, I'm going to pick I'm going to pick the Eagles still. Like the Eagles have play- Oh, I, I forgot the Eagles have a tie. I was wondering how they were three games up on the Giants, but they're not. They're two and a half games. So maybe they can afford to lose this and still win the division. (laughs) I'm going to pick the Eagles just because they don't have Daniel Jones, who fumbles every time he gets touched. But I guess you could say the same thing about Carson Wentz. Whoever wins... He he does not fumble every time he gets touched, but he insists on getting touched (laughs) standing until nine other guys can tackle him. That's a good point. So it's uh, not really an effective... Also, like as down as we are on the Eagles, they're one win away from being 500 again. Uh, yeah. So hey, maybe they'll, they'll get back in, and maybe they can like get the third seat. I'm just, no, I'm just saying. Happen, but Philadelphia deserves some good things to happen to it. I'll just throw that out there. They earned it. Uh, they sure did. Texas and Texans and the Browns. Uh, the uh, Texans are a three point dog in this game. Which feels pretty low, but it is pretty low. But do we know what to expect out of this Browns team coming out of the bye? Like Odell's gone. Uh, I'm picking the Browns just because the Texans' defense is such a mess, and I feel like the Browns are a team that is capable of beating up on a bad defense. But the only thing stopping me from picking them or making me worried about picking them is Deshaun Watson is on the other sideline and I just talked about earlier in the week about how he's like should be MVP and he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league or one of the best quarterbacks in the league so as long as the the Browns can avoid Baker Mayfield having to play quarterback then I think they'll win this one easily if they if he does have to play quarterback and he has to you know match Deshaun Watson throw for throw the Texans are going to win this game uh, the football team is playing against the Lions. Uh, I'm actually not seeing a line for this one right now. Uh, yeah, Vegas just chose not to acknowledge this game's <laughs> existence, and I don't blame them. Can we do the same thing? Uh, is- I'm picking the Lions. I don't care what the line is. There you go. Uh, Packers, Jags. Packers favored by 13 and a half. Ooh. Yeah, that's a big line. I don't know if that do – you- I don't trust the Packers with that line. But also, they're going up against Jake Luton. <laughs> so maybe I should. 
I don't know. I'm going to take the Packers. I don't think Jake Luton is going to be able to expose their defense, the back end of their defense. So that's how you beat this team. Are you run the ball on them? And I don't know if the Jaguars are going to be able to, to do that either. And Aaron Rodgers is going to have his way with the Jaguars secondary. And this defense is one of the worst in the league. So yeah, Packers, I'll take, I'll lay the 13 points. Uh, Bucks, Panthers, the line is Tampa by five and a half. That's kind of low. Did we lose too much faith on in the Bucks? Are like are people just buying into the Panthers after they nearly beat the Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, as you point out, the Panthers' defense is still very bad. Twenty six, I think, DVOA. Uh, so it feels like all the makings of a, a Tampa Bay revenge game. Yeah, and uh, Tampa Bay got off to a slow start against them in the first game, but once they figured out the Panthers, or the, yeah, the Panthers' defense, it was just moving the ball at will. And I don't know. Tom Brady had a terrible game, and he doesn't tend to have back-to-back terrible games. So I would not be surprised if they really take their anger out on the Panthers, and it's a blowout. Uh, Broncos, Raiders, uh, Vegas favored by five. Uh, is Derek Carr actually Drew Locke? That's what I need to know. Not <laughs> Derek Carr. No, I would not go that. I don't hate Derek Carr that much as a player. Like I think I actually think he's like a solid quarterback, and he's like putting up pretty good numbers this year in that offense. Although I think John Gruden has a lot to do with it. But no, yeah, I think the Raiders are the better team and they have the better quarterback and drew lock. I just don't think he's an NFL starter and we're going to see it. And I don't think he's going to be able to exploit the the Raiders defense. So I'm going to take the Raiders in this one. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but if they win this game, we're going to have to hear about that all week. So I'm kind of rooting for the Broncos to win. But I'm going to take the Raiders. Uh, all right. Looking else. Oh, Chargers, Dolphins, uh, Miami, two and a half here. Exciting young quarterback battle, though. That's fine. right. I don't want to pick this game. I have to pick between my two two rookie quarterback sons. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with the Dolphins just because of what I – if I did not see that game out of two last week, I would have picked the Chargers in this one. But it's just so hard betting on the Chargers because they're going to find some way to lose the game. Last week on Sunday, I tweeted, I wonder how the Chargers are going to blow this game. And like, I kind of thought about sending it or not. I was like, I'm going to get old takes exposed again if I send this. But then I was like, it's the Chargers. Like, no, I'm not. They're going to lose this game. So I just sent it and it turned out I, it was, I was fine. So I'll take the Dolphins. They have the better defense. They have the better coaching staff. I don't think they have the better quarterback, but it's close enough where the other stuff makes the difference. All right. And the last one we haven't talked about is the Bengals Steelers. And actually, this there's no line for this one. I totally forgot earlier when we were talking about the, the COVID update is Ben Roethlisberger had a, a close contact or whatever. So he has not been practicing. It's unclear whether uh, the Steelers expect him to play, that the timeline will work out and he'll play. But we don't know for a fact. So there is no line right now in this game. But uh, I don't know feels like mason rudolph or i don't even know who their backup <laughs> is but could could potentially get it done against the Bengals. but uh what do you think yeah i think it's going to be a long day for joe burrow because that offensive line is not good and if he thinks he can escape like tj watt and bud dupree yeah he might end up hurt i hopefully he gets the ball out quickly and like doesn't try to play hero ball i it's just a bad matchup for that team 
I mean, they, a lot of matchups they go into are bad matchups for them, but this one especially. And the Bengals don't have a defense that I think can match up with the Steelers and take away what they do, which is getting the ball out quick underneath and having their receivers make plays. The Bengals aren't really a great tackling team, and that's an issue against Pittsburgh. So, yeah, I'm going to take the Steelers. Uh, Vikings-Bears is the Monday night game, the pivotal uh, NFC North battle. Uh, We will talk about that on our show Monday. Uh, Also review all the games from the weekend, figure out what we learned, look ahead to Steven's take dump, which is his Monday feature, uh, sort of offering quick hit analysis of some of the things he notices. Uh, do go back and find, uh, do look at our site for the pieces that I previewed and, and we talked about today, the, uh, Dolphins Cardinals review and then something on Tua. uh, Steven is on Twitter at the Steven Ruiz. I am at Chris Corman. We'd love to talk to you there. Uh, Steven, any closing thoughts? Uh, a couple weeks ago I pointed out a thing that wasn't getting covered enough. And that was that Jeff Driscoll has a better quarterback <laughs> uh, PFF grade than Drew Locke. I'd like to update this. And we are now on to Garrett Gilbert has a higher PFF grade than Drew Locke. I just want you to let the people know. You declared Garrett Gilbert not a real person, though. Like you, you were. What does that mean, Drew Locke? Drew Locke is not a real person either. He is like several Denver Broncos quarterbacks at once. Got the real slander here. Thanks for joining us here on the counter. We will talk to you Monday. Take care. The counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Wind, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. 